Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now, here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Pawatic. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast, powered by First National. What you're about to hear is part of a series that Adam and I do with real estate forms as part of their Ref Club platform called Ask the Experts and or Thinkins. So please stick tuned for after the interview where Adam and I will still do the after show where we digest the conversation that we had. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's Thinkin'. I am Adam Pawatic and your other host is Aaron Cameron. We co-host the Commercial Real Estate Podcast powered by First National. And we also have the honor of interviewing people at these weekly think-ins with the real estate forums. Today's interview is going to be particularly interesting. We're turning the camera inward in this sense. We're going to have George Presbilewski, Vice President of Real Estate and Forma Canada. If you spent any time at forums over the last couple of decades, you should at the very least recognize his face, if not knowing that he was busy, unflappable from the exterior at these events, but running around and orchestrating these incredible multi-person, thousand-plus attendee events on an ongoing basis. And so today we're going to talk about George's storied career, not just from a real estate perspective, but predating that. He had an interesting path that led him into the world of event marketing as it relates to real estate. And we're going to go way, way back to even predating his own birth because he's got so many good stories. But George, welcome. Thank you, Adam. And thank you, Aaron. And uh, I don't know how I got talked into this, but here I am. Before we go into the interview, as a result of you and your team, and thanks to you guys, you know, Adam and I have had the pleasure of interviewing a lot of very influential individuals in the real estate community. I could name 20 or 30 names. I'm probably more excited for this interview today with you than I am for any of those combined. The impact you've had on the commercial real estate community and just the, I don't even know how to describe it, the breadth, the scope, the reach you've had in this industry I think is paralleled by none. So I'm very proud to be able to participate in this conversation over the next hour. Well, that's, uh, that's very kind of you. Uh, you know, I guess one key thing is this is St. Patrick's Day. So I hope that everybody who's watching this, because you're likely at home, not in your corporate office, has a chance to have a beer, glass of wine, or something beside themselves. Because what I'm going to do is go through a story that is quite the journey. And the key aspect that everybody needs to consider and be patient with is the fact that there was this movie about six degrees of separation. What I'm going to show you is something that I would refer to as one degree of separation. Believe it or not, every single step led to another step, which led to another step, which many steps later ended up creating the real estate forums. So your patience today as you hear this uh, story would be uh, greatly appreciated. So Adam and Aaron, is this a good time to get started? Yeah, absolutely. Fasten your seatbelts and George, start the story off. All right. Thanks, guys. The beginning is going to be on February the 10th, 1940 in Poland. The Second World War was just underway. My mother was 13 at the time, and her family lived right by the Russian border in what is Belarus today. At 3 a.m. in the morning, there was a knock on the door, and the Russian troops advised the family that they had 10 minutes to pack their bags and then to follow her. They were part of an ethnic cleansing program that Stalin initiated the year before, after Russia occupied over half of Poland under an agreement with Hitler. So what happened was... 1,700,000 Poles were sent in freight trains and truck convoys to four various parts of Siberia. 60% of them died of typhus and other diseases and starvation, etc., including half of my mother's family. And had Germany not invaded Russia, I likely may not, in fact, even be here today. The initial strong German success resulted in an agreement between the Polish government in exile and Stalin to let all the Polish POWs out to be able to fight the uh, incoming German army. And the other deal was that the Polish citizens in Siberia had to also be allowed to leave the country. And they did. And they ended up in Iran and India. Thanks to the Red Cross, they built schools and communities and the like. 
My father, in the meantime, was elsewhere in Germany and spent the war in a POW camp as a captured Polish officer. So that was the start of our family at that particular point in time. They hadn't met each other. After 1945, they were now refugees and displaced persons, and they had a number of reasons why they weren't going to be able to return to Poland. Industrialized countries, though, on the other hand, were accepting refugees, and interestingly enough, both of them independently were offered the opportunity to go to three countries, Australia, Argentina, and Canada. And in both cases, they independently agreed that they wanted to go to Canada and Toronto because they had people that they knew who had preceded them and told them there's this terrific city called Toronto where there's a tremendous Polish community. You've got to come here. So they took a voyage across the Atlantic, ended up in Halifax in Pier 23, which is Canada's equivalent of Ellis Island in the States and eventually made their way to Toronto, where they met each other, they married, and they had children, starting with myself. Post-war inner city Toronto was a very fragmented area. There were an Italian area, a Portuguese area, a Polish area, a Ukrainian area. I say that to you because most of these refugees didn't know any English. The street that I was born and raised on, everybody simply spoke Polish. The butcher, the priest, the doctor, the neighbors, the kids. I didn't know a word of English until I went to grade one because nobody was taught English in pre-war Europe and and came to Canada, you know, with their own mother tongues, and that was it. So the journey that I'm going to take you through now, believe it or not, is critical to the eventual creation of the real estate forms. I would refer to it as one degree of separation, not six degrees of separation. So sit back, have that beer, have that glass of wine, and take a listen. Every step that I will describe will lead to another step that led to another step that led to another one that eventually ended up with the real estate forms. And guess what? It all started in June of 1969, would you believe it, at the Toronto Pop Festival, which was the first rock and roll festival of the summer of 69 that ended with Woodstock, and the first one was this one in Toronto. And I say that because I was sitting back, I heard about the event, and I saw this incredible lineup of acts, Sly and the Family Stones, Steppenwolf, Procol Harum, Chuck Berry, Alice Cooper, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, on and on and on. And I said, you know what? I don't want to just buy a ticket and go there. I want to find a way to work backstage. So I went to the office of the promoters and I said, listen, I'm keen to volunteer and work backstage and made my pitch. And at the end of it, they actually paid me $20 a day and I did work backstage. And one of my key jobs was in making sure that Sly, Stone and all the other acts made it up the stairs to the stage because there were no railings, believe it or not, on any of the stairs onto the stage. So it was my opportunity to be inches away, holding, touching a hundred incredible acts. And from that, I ended up after that particular time in September as a social rep in my high school organizing dances. And that festival stuck in my mind. I said, you know, all this high schools in Toronto, they've got dances, they've got, you know, the usual local band playing, et cetera. I'm going to go high. I'm going to get an act, one that you would have seen at the Toronto Pop Festival. I'm going to give that a try and talk the principal into uh, supporting me. So we ended up with a concert in December of 1969 with Lighthouse. And Lighthouse at that time was one of the top three acts in Canada with Guess Who and April Wine. And the manager of the band and I hit it off incredibly well when we were sitting down and I was paying out the band from the money and the receipts at the door, and we were having quite a laugh. The importance of that was that in April, the following year, I get this call out of nowhere that says, hi, I'm Grant Spence. That's the manager of Lighthouse. And he says, what are you doing for the summer? I'd love to give you a chance to be my assistant because we've got a tremendous number of things going on, and I need somebody to help me out. Well, I couldn't have said yes fast enough. So here I was 
it was the summer of 1970. I'm 17 years old, and I'm working as an assistant to the manager of Lighthouse, paying the band, putting money into the bank, telling them when to come on stage, would you believe it, and all kinds of things. It was just an incredible time. They went to Expo 70. They did a tour with the Winnipeg Royal Ballet called the Ballet High, along with many one-night stands. And from that activity with Lighthouse, one particular concert, I ran into the general manager of the Canadian National Exhibition backstage. And he said to me, you know what, we're going to be creating some initiatives here to youth. Would you be interested in getting involved in something like this? I said, sure, let me know. And I gave him my phone number. All of a sudden, it's January 1971, and I get this phone call from him. And he says, are you interested in being co-chair of the Youth in Canada Committee at the CNE? And in addition to that, we have a building with 140,000 square feet that we're going to demolish at the end of the CNE this year. It's right across from the automotive building. In fact, it's the footprint the Entercare Center was built on. And we'd like to turn that into a youth pavilion. So we've got a budget for you of $17,800, which is a lot of money in 1971. And could you put together a youth pavilion as well as a youth day at the X? Well, we got our sleeves rolled up. We got some tremendous advice from management and we filled the building and had a youth day concert that had 20,000 people, including Kenny Rogers in the first edition, Lighthouse again. They weren't too difficult to get, and many, many other acts, a total of 10 acts. So that particular experience at, at the CNE it included its most significant exhibitor, the provincial government featuring their summer programs for youth. In the fall of 1971, one of the fellows that I really got to know well at that exhibit, he had a supervisor call me and ask me, would I be interested in a job? as provincial coordinator of something called the Youth in Action Program, which had a budget of $1.8 million. And the idea was to provide summer jobs for university and college students running community programs for kids that were out of school. So it was a win-win all around. People that needed money could earn something and kids that needed to do something at a program that would meet their needs. I love the job. It was a tremendous one. It took me right around the entire province. And to the point where they gave me a call and said, would you like to come back in 1973? I said, absolutely. And back to that job, I went. During that time, I met an executive assistant to a provincial cabinet minister. And he mentioned to me that, you know what, there's two new provincial ministries that are going to be created and formed at February 1st, 1974. I know you're still in university finishing up, but... This is an opportunity to get in at the ground floor. You love politics, you love government. Why don't you think about maybe joining one of these ministries? And if you're interested, I'll put in a good word for you. Well, I took a look and there was this area called community renewal. And the focus of that was renewing older neighborhoods, older housing stock, main streets and downtowns that were being threatened by new shopping centers on the periphery. It had a strong appeal to me for some reason. And I said, yeah, you know what? I'd love to try to do this. Went for an interview, got, got the job. And the next thing I knew, we were sitting around the table and we had a budget of $750 million from the federal and provincial government to spend on these neighborhoods and older housing stock all around the province to try to avoid dilapidation that would lead to urban renewal. And I sat there one day and said, guys, we're going to have a problem here. There's only six of us, and there's 150 municipalities that are eligible for this. The issue is, if you don't use it, you'll lose it, which means that there's $250 million a year, but it has to be spent. If it's not spent, you can't move any of that money into the following year. So my idea was simple. Why don't we bring everybody to us? instead of us trying to go around the province and get to them. And the idea was to have a conference. And the conference would then, we would invite all municipalities that are eligible and get those municipalities that are already taken advantage of the program to tell 
their story of why this is a tremendous thing for your municipality to get involved with. Well, it was a great success. We got the $750 million out. In fact, we were oversubscribed. And the conferences as well made money, which was just a bonus. Now we come to 1980, and inflation is rampant to the point where interest rates skyrocketed by 1982 to 21.5%. That's 21.5%. The minister wanted to do something to try to keep the housing market alive. Because you can imagine with interest rates being that high, what do you do? And at that time, he said, George, you know what? You've been involved with community renewal. Can you move over here? We want to start something on intensification and medium density housing and being able to somehow improve renovation at the same time. The builders told us we were crazy because all they were interested in was urban sprawl and the fact that everybody wanted an all-brick two-story house with two-car garage and four bedrooms. Meanwhile, we couldn't talk them into the fact that smaller units were needed in Toronto given the affordability issue. At any rate, we move on and 1984 comes along. I'm seconded to the minister's office at that time. And we designed something called the Building Industry Strategy. Please remember that. Building Industry Strategy. What exactly is that? Well, the essence of it is this. There is no single association to which everybody who has an important role to play in buildings belongs to. So if you're an architect, builder, contractor, developer, engineer, facility manager, property manager, someone involved in investment, financing, or whatever, everyone is verticalized. There's no single method that brings everybody together to be able to share information and to glean from one another. So eventually, government changed in 1985 due to an election. I felt it was time to leave formed a consulting business, kept my involvement in conference management and so on. But one day, I ran into a client who was an exposition expert. And we brainstormed, and the building industry strategy came to mind. And we concluded, why don't we launch a company to produce trade shows and conferences that would focus on the building industry? If the strategy can't be launched, why don't we create something through the private sector that can meet that need? The result was Construct Canada and PM Expo as trade shows that would meet the needs of architects, engineers, contractors on one side, building owners and property managers, and building operators on the other side, and a show and conference that would focus on office and industrial real estate because the retail sector was well served by some association called ICSC, but nobody was doing anything on office and industry. So we launched this company. We were out there in 1989. But little did we know that right around the corner, in a very short period of time, there would be a recession and quite a deep recession. Jeff Rubin was right for once. The housing market did drop by 40%. Commercial market dropped even more than that. All public real estate companies virtually went bankrupt. On the private side, many one uh, did as well. You may recall Olympia in New York, for example, as one of the most significant ones in that regard. Major recession, high unemployment, and so on. So bottom line meant that we had to play taps and close down the office and industrial real estate show. At the time, we said we owe a gratitude and thanks to the real estate executives that volunteered as advisors that helped us launch the show and make it work. So at a luncheon where we say thank you, they turned to me and said, George, you've got to understand the conference that you have is terrific. So yes, the exposition makes no sense anymore, but you've got to keep the conference going. I looked at them like they were crazy because I said, there's a conference called the Property Forum that's been around for 21 years that all real estate executives tend to go to. How can we compete against that? And they said, well, it's very simple. Take a look at it. $950 was the late fee to go to that event. 
Speakers had to do speeches because the speeches were required in order to fill a five-inch binder. So there were no panel discussions. People would just get up and give a speech. And then the next person would give the speech. And to become a speaker, you got a chance, if you were an advertiser in the magazine that was run by the publisher, who happened to also be the organizer of the conference. So what happened was I sat back and said, all right, so the value proposition that might work here and compete against them is if we create a conference in which we decide, first of all, what are the right topics? What exactly do we need to talk about? Who are the right speakers to address those topics? And can we offer this at the lowest possible price? Keep that value proposition in mind, please, going forward. Shortly after that lunch, a fellow named Brad Henderson, who was a senior executive at Royal Page, sent me a note and said, you know, if you need any help with anything at all in order to be able to make this conference work, let me know and we'd be happy to help you. Well, he couldn't have said it better than somebody finding gold in the Klondike back in 1899. Because the fact is that, ladies and gentlemen, I knew nothing about the real estate industry. Zero. I didn't know what an NER was. I didn't know what a cap rate was. I had no clue. And so I couldn't grab the phone quick enough to call him and ask him to see him. And so Brad and a colleague of his, John O'Brien, known to many of you, they taught me commercial real estate 101. Without them, there would simply be no real estate forum. And the first one was launched in 1992. We had 311 people for one day at a price point of 175 early, $195 late. The event went off so well that the feedback was, you've got to move the event to a two-day event next year, which we did in 1993. Eventually, word spread about our success, and in 94, we were approached by individuals from Vancouver and Ottawa, hey, do you mind thinking about launching a one-day event in this market to focus on the key food groups and what's going on in this market? And Indeed, that's how we started to grow the, the company. The Toronto event continued to grow as well. And a key, key point was 1997 when John Love and Doug McGregor co-chaired the event. We had well over a thousand people at that conference. And at that point, we started to make a really massive difference. By 1999, the Property Forum held its last event and we were on to further growth because our attendance that year was about 1,500 people. So the lesson I would pass on to you is simply this. Remember, you're only as good as your last slice of pizza. Don't let success go to your head. The people at Property Forum continued to do the same thing even when we started to compete with them while we were trying to make sure that every year we were doing something fresh and new and interesting and so on. At that time, as a result of the property form moving along, we were also asked to launch events in Calgary, Montreal, and the year after in Edmonton. So by the year 2000, we now were covered in all six major gateway cities. So that's how we came to be 19 conferences, 19 forums. This is where we were. If it wasn't for Brad and John and hundreds and hundreds of other industry members, Uh, who gave their time and advice, we might not be able to be here. If it wasn't for the fact that a non-French-speaking individual from Toronto could launch four events in Quebec, be accepted and supported like someone native to the province, we wouldn't be able to be in Montreal, where we were, frankly, given a red carpet. It was amazing. And we owe a gratitude of thanks, too, to individuals who've helped us recruit keynote speakers over the years. I'll give you one quick example. Blake Hutchison picked up the phone this year and called Jonathan Gray and recruited Jonathan for us for the Toronto Real Estate Forum coming up this year. That is the type of help that we've received that nobody can say thank you hard enough or often enough. I want to conclude by saying that we're blessed that we have three critical teams that have made all this happen. 
So the first thing is the thousands of industry supporters coast to coast that have been advisors, speakers, sponsors, attendees. If it wasn't for all of you, where would we be with our particular events? The second thing is that everybody can't function on their own. I have the benefit and I've had the pleasure of having an awesome team behind me working with me on our events over the last 30 years and currently the one led by Gene with all of you that are wonderful people that I can name. And then finally, I just want to thank my family because my daughter and son, Leanne and Michael, they helped out on some of these events when we needed it. But my wife, Linda, without whose support, none of this would be possible because she walked me through the first eight years when we had a real tough time through that recession and has been the stabilizer of our family while I've been working hard to build this business. So in conclusion, Harry Truman had a very interesting comment attributed to him. Keep this in mind too, folks. It is amazing what you can accomplish if you do not care who gets the credit. Thank you. Thanks, George. I apologize for jumping in there. I have a hard time keeping my mouth shut. I think that's what makes me good at, at sitting here asking questions all the time. I love the story. You know, it all started in the summer of 69. It is a commonality in, in a lot of the interviews that Adam and I conduct where it is happenstance, right? You met somebody that gave you an opportunity, which allowed you to meet somebody, which gave you an opportunity, which got you into government and got you exposed to real estate, which, and you merged your history of expositions with real estate and you know, it's one of those things, one thing leads to the next. And, you know, now we are, what, 30 years on and, and here we are, you know, doing this. I love that you kind of concluded thanking all the people. I mean, everybody always has to appreciate that you aren't doing this on your own. And Adam and I kind of see the behind the scenes, the amount of effort and work and time and energy that goes into the big team that, that makes all this happen. And of course, you as the sort of the patriarch, keeping everybody with a smile on their face and keeping it light. So we really appreciate it. So now that, now that we've made it to sort of the, I want to call it present day, I think you kind of, you kind of concluded in the year sort of 2000 or so, which is more or less the same iteration of the forum today. Maybe I want to ask you some questions about what it's been like now with the forum and what your experience has been over the last sort of couple of decades. Let's start negative and go positive. So let's, let, I want to start with maybe... What was one of the hardest moments? COVID aside, we'll get to COVID later. We'll finish kind of on that topic because clearly you're the entire industry and you guys included have had to pivot with the result of this environment. But in the days of your 14, 15 forums across the country and you're traveling around and uh, moving with your team, conducting these forums, is there a moment that stands out where like that was a stressful day? That day there was glitches and people not showing up or you know, what was one of the more memorable events that you that you held and conducted? Well, you know, if I can turn that focus a little bit narrower, the moment in time where our opening speaker on the second day of the Toronto Real Estate Forum happened to be the president of the company that owned us at the time because we sold our business at the end of 2006. This individual had come up to Toronto the night before uh, and and he was unfortunately much later than he expected. Uh, the two in the, the two people who were co-chairs uh, that year, I'll leave their names aside for the moment. Uh, they asked him, "How well do you know Toronto?" So we're talking about 11:30 at night, you know, the night before the forum. They said, "You know what? Join us. We're going to take you. We're going to show you a side of Toronto you've never seen before." Well, it turns out they were out till something like 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the morning, quite late. So my partner was in the lobby of the Intercon Hotel attached to the convention center, waiting to meet the president to bring him down so that he could start his remarks at 8.05. So she was there at 7.20, as prearranged by him, waiting to uh, meet him and, and then maneuver him through the trade show area. and from the North building to the South building and all, and, and, and all the convoluted things you have to do sometimes if you haven't been there before. Anyway, 7.20 comes and he's not there. 7.22, he's not there. He, she calls me and says, George, I just called his room and there was no answer and he's not down here. I said, okay, 
Maybe he's making his way down somehow by himself. But she said, I know what he looks like. And he had the capacity in order to be able to get into the center. So it's impossible for him to be there on his own. So she tried the room again. And it turns out that he slept through an alarm clock. He All of a sudden, the second ring did wake him up. He had the fastest shower he's ever had in his life. And he managed somehow to fast track with Jackie and walk into the real estate forum at 8.03 in the morning. And he was in desperate need of coffees, but he was to be the inspirational opening speaker on that second day. And believe me, my heart was in my throat until I saw him come down that escalator. And then when I saw him up there struggling initially, we managed to get as much coffee as we possibly could in a way that I won't bother describing. Yeah, that was a close one. That was probably the closest we ever have been in 30 years where a keynote speaker was either not showing up or run into some problem. I have to say that we're rather blessed because we haven't missed having any of our keynote speakers not show up, but that was a close one. And imagine, he was the president of our company, so what can we say to him? (laughs) I've attended, I think, virtually every one of the forums that you run in each of the iterations. The Toronto Forum stands out in particular as a number of the attendees probably did stay out till three in the morning, similar to your keynote speaker, but without the added responsibility. So that is a totally different proposition, but I would say that it's not uncommon for some of the attendees when you get to the social aspect of these forums, which is part of the greatness. George, before we got involved with you with the podcast, you were just being friendly one of the forums. I was speaking with you, and you mentioned that in downtimes, attendance to the forums is actually very strong. Of course, as people are very concerned about their real estate. And over the, the 30 years we're discussing, there's you know any number of points you could point at that would qualify as a downtime for real estate. Uh, has that been true through all the cycles? You know, and are you seeing it now? Are people a little more tuned in during uh, times of crisis to how their real estate is going to perform? First of all, let me back up. So in 2009, when the world financial crisis occurred, everybody was looking under every rock to make sure, you know, was there any toxicity anywhere? And so that included making sure that in Canada, we were okay, that we weren't going to be in the same problem boat that the U.S. was, portions of Europe, pigs, you know, in terms of Portugal, Ireland, Greece, Spain, et cetera, et cetera. So we have an event called Real Capital that focuses on the availability of debt and construction and equity finance. So normally at that time, 2006, 7, 8, Our attendance at that event would have been around 500, 525 people. That particular year in 2009, all of a sudden attendance skyrocketed and went almost to 800 people. So there's a perfect example for you where the conference's success was actually buoyed by the problems that were occurring in the industry because capital and financing was virtually frozen for the first couple of months of the year. And people were walking around that event with one question on their mind. Do you know anybody who's got money and the capital available? you know anybody who's got capital? So that is an example, Adam, of where it's a benefit. The flip side of that is the Land and Development Conference that very same year, where all of a sudden, because capital became tighter and tighter, there were development projects that were put over to the side and temporarily disbanded. As a result of that, we didn't get our usual attendance, but much lower attendance because development teams in some cases actually were even pink slipped. And so you've got the one side and you've got the other side. And somehow things kind of even out because you You win some, you lose some, maybe is an attribute to that. At the current time, you know, we're into virtual conferences because there is no other 
alternative needed for obvious reasons. And the basic, I guess, ratio is that 70% of the industry is very keen on market intelligence and, and understands and accepts that virtual is the only game in town and this is how you have to be able to exist. But there's a 30% factor for whom face-to-face is very, very important, very critical. And so, you know, our virtual events don't get quite the same attendance that a, a live event would because a live event can meet all needs, social networking, as well as market intelligence and so on. Whereas virtual is much, much stronger on market intelligence. It does have networking capabilities, but they're not nearly to the same degree as they would be with a live event. Yeah, you know, George, one of the things that I miss that I don't think I ever would have recognize as something that I like so much, but just that those those awkward moments when you've got lunch in your hand and you're looking for a place to sit down and you find a, an empty seat or two, depending on who you're with, and you go around, you hand your cards, and next thing you know, you're in some sort of interesting conversation with an individual that you would have never, ever otherwise come across. That is something just impossible to replicate, replicate or at least very, very difficult. A reminder to our Ref Club members that are participating to get your Q&A in and think of some questions. We are eventually going to transition after the interview to a live Q&A component with the Ref Club members. And of course, if you're not a Ref Club member, but you want to participate, go sign up very, very quickly because we're transitioning in about the next 10 minutes. You know, George, this is, I just, I guess, an interesting line of questioning too, but I'm just wondering if, what is one of the moments maybe in the last sort of couple of decades where you kind of maybe regretted the decision or what was one of the bigger regrets? Was it transitioning to North America wide or not going to different jurisdictions? What were some of the harder decisions that you had to make during your career? Yeah, that's a very, a very good question. And so one of those is the regret about expanding, be it to the US or be it to, well, let's start with UK when we talk about Europe. I shouldn't put the U.S. into a regret mode because I think what I need to do is explain that in Canada, we are a small country relative to our neighbor on the other side. And so that means that the associations that are here, it's extremely difficult for them to assume the role that we have and be able to do the events that we offer. Size matters. And when you go to the U.S. side, what happens is that you run into the NAOPS and the Urban Land Institute and BOMA International and SIOR in Canada is just a couple of handfuls of people. And in the U.S., it's a very formidable organization and on and on and on. So the the point is that it, it would be difficult for us to go to the U.S. and offer the same formula. Because our events, Adam and Aaron, the ones where we focus on a specific market and what's going on in that market. So that's dealing with the four food groups and talking about them in terms of investment, development, financing, and leasing. Those events tend to get as many as 30, 35% of the audience from outside of the province. Because people use that event to come in for three days, put their finger on the pulse of the market find out what's going on, have property tours, meet with a number of brokers and talk to them individually about what their perspectives are or other individuals who are knowledgeable about the market. And so, you know, that's something that you can't easily do in the States because all those large associations in the States are huge and they know that there's revenue to be made in running certain quality conferences and exhibitions, and they do that. So they own the market. And the issue was, and the opportunity that we responded to was with the exception of the property forum, nobody really owned the market in Canada, period. And so my regret, it's too bad that the big eyes are so big in the States. When it came to Europe and London, somebody beat us to launching a London real estate forum by two years. And very quietly. And had we moved earlier, in light of the fact that we're owned by a company that, of course, is headquartered in London, 
we might have been able to beat them to the finish line and you know successfully launch an event in London that could have been the spearhead to other events in Europe. So that is a regret. Well, the good news is that here in Canada, you are the big scary forum scaring away other potential suitors to the throne. You know, if somebody says here, hey, you're heading to the conference in the fall, there's no question about which one they're talking about. That's all very clear. But remember, uh, George, Adam, you're only as good as your last slice of pizza, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, this right now is your last slice of pizza, the most recent slice of pizza we've done. So I hope people uh, did enjoy it. But uh, I wanted to ask you about selling the forum. You know, you did found it and then sold it in the 90s. If you can describe the decision making that went into that and the emotion that went into it, you know, it's, you know, at some level, handing over your baby to somebody else. And then an interesting part of the story is, of course, is where you invested, you know, the, some of the proceeds of the sale that, that you received. Well, there's two things. We actually have been involved with two sales as things worked out. Because originally, you know, we were were in a situation where there were two of us that were partners in the main company. But because of the trade shows and the, uh, in addition to the conferences that we owned, we had a complicated situation where there was also some ownership with another individual and his colleague. And so it required four of us to sort of have a consensus view on what to do. And so what was happening was we were noticing that our main uh, joint venture partner, his interests were going more and more towards other things, number one. Number two was that uh, my partner, Jackie, that I mentioned, she had, her husband was going to retire in a few years. She was going to retire at exactly the same time as him. And that meant that we needed to sort of start thinking seriously about some form of succession planning and, and so on and take the opportunity to cash out while we could. And the market for these events was very, very good. The multiples that were being offered were absolutely exceptional. So we quietly then said, the most important thing is we've got to find a buyer who isn't going to take us apart. This isn't going to affect our people because our people are critical to us. So we spent a year looking for somebody who was going to accept all of our team in terms of their seniority, their comp packages, et cetera, as they are. They weren't going to play games with them. And we found that company and they happened to be the one that owned some consumer shows in Canada, one of a kind craft show and interior design show and so on. And and they were a division of a major U.S. real estate company called Vernado. Vernado owns retail and office in New York, San Francisco, Washington, Boston, et cetera. But in Chicago, they owned the Merchandise Mart, which next to the Pentagon at one point was the largest building in the world. You imagine one floor plate is 210,000 square feet. This was a 20-story building. So they made an offer to us. We saw that there was already people in Canada that we would be able to work with. The offer, quite honestly, was better than the offer that we thought we would get. And as we were sitting and reading the offer in the paper, two days later, I happened to find out that I had been diagnosed with prostate cancer. So I looked at everybody around the table the next day and I said, you know what, this may not be a bad time to take something off the table, don't you think? And sure enough, we went and proceeded. It was a complicated situation because they had accountants coming in thinking that this was General Motors that they were buying as opposed to a small little company. They had all kinds of situations where they wanted to backtrack and have us make a haircut and another haircut. And I'll tell you that a moment came in time when we were very close to the point of signing the agreement in November of 2006. And the guy on the other end wanted one more little haircut. And I quickly did the math on how much they had spent on lawyers, how much they had spent on accountants, how deep they were into this acquisition. And I said, no, we're not going to do what you want us to do. So you have a choice. The deal is dead as a doorknob, 
or we're moving ahead, but without that. They put us on hold, chatted for four minutes, came on, and they took the deal. I love the playing hardball, George. It's <laughs> a great tactic you could impart to you know attendees of the forum, give a seminar on it. Are you willing to share this, where you invested some of the money? I do know the answer, and it does relate to real estate. No, we won't pry well, into your financial too far, but I'd love to for you to well, share that too. Yeah, so the simple answer was that I asked myself the question, what do I know the best? Is it oil and gas? Is it tech companies? Is it something else? And, you know, and the answer was, well, what I know the best is commercial real estate. So Adam and Aaron, the answer is very simple. My investments have been in real estate. I back up the hit the very essence of the very market that we serve. You know, that's funny, George. I'm pretty sure across the industry, we're all very much heavily overloaded in commercial real estate investments. I think it's just natural to transition or to be drawn towards what you know best. We're going to wrap here for the live interview portion and we're going to transition to the Q&A. So thanks to everybody for listening or for watching this part. For the Ref Club members, just hold on a tight minute. We're going to move into the Q&A. And of course, if you're not a Ref Club member, please join. And then the next time you can participate in the live sort of unplugged, relaxed Q&A component of the interview. Thanks again, George, for doing this. Really appreciate it. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast After Show, where uh, we kind of digest the conversation we just had. This was an interesting one, eh, Adam? Like, you know, we're typically talking to industry leaders or experts, not that George isn't, but it was it's from a different angle. It was much more about the history and story of an institution within our commercial real estate community. I don't know if we really got it fully out, but there's probably isn't a person that spent less than five years in the industry that hasn't come across George or knows who George is, right? Like his prevalence throughout the industry is just unparalleled, right? And I just, I found it so interesting to hear the story about how he, it was just so coincidental. It wasn't like he woke up one morning and be like, this is going to be a great idea. I'm going to build this real estate form empire and create this opportunity for commercial networking, commercial real estate networking. Like he kind of just, he literally walked bass backwards into it. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people have real estate stories like that. It's, it's funny that, you know, especially, you know, a generation ago that people didn't intentionally get into real estate. They kind of ended up there. Whereas now there's much more, uh, more direct lines. But yeah, if, if you think about our real estate world, and we'll talk pre-pandemic. I mean, now there are the virtual conferences, which are great for, for information, but you uh, obviously don't have the social side as connected. But if you think about your years in real estate, Aaron, if you'd removed every forum you attended from your real estate career, think about how less connected, you know, informed, how much less of a community you would feel around real estate if you stripped out all of those, I'm sure, dozens at this point, uh, events you've been to. Yeah, 100%. Like, and, and I've been fortunate enough to travel and go to basically all of them across the country at one point or another. And and yeah, you're right. Like, You really do feel like part of a community. I mean, I remember the first time I was in, I think it was, it was Halifax, and I had just been in Saskatoon or I'd been in Vancouver like six weeks earlier or four weeks earlier. And then you start seeing the same faces. And you start seeing the same people at the same hotel lobby bars. You start going, okay, like I get, I get. This is why this is important, and that is, it's so integral to the community just being as tight as we are. And we're missing that right now. Like, let's just admit it, of course, right? Even going back, like, I remember my first opportunity where somebody in the first national office. I was a young analyst, and they said, "Hey, like, I can't, I can't make it for the next hour. Do you want my pass?" And maybe I shouldn't be saying this. Maybe George would be angry. But it was like, yeah, like I'll take that pass. I remember taking the pass and getting an opportunity to walk down to the convention center and figuring out where I'm going and going to some sort of concurrent session. You, like you're just like wide-eyed and bushy-tailed at the, at the time, but you just felt like this is so cool. Like what an interesting opportunity to sit there and listen to these experts. And like, you almost feel like I'm now a somebody that I've got to go to a forum. Right. And so, and you know, the reality is George has created that for, for, for countless, countless people in our community. There was a time where, yeah, same as you, I was going to virtually all of them across the country. And I remember uh, Matthew Smith from JLL 
I'd see him at every one. So we'd always chat or have a beer or a coffee or whatever it is. And he joked we were you know, following around the Grateful Dead across the country is what it felt like going to all these forums. I said, instead of tie-dyed, we're all wearing suits, but uh, you know, similar concept. But like, I, I fully remember my first conference outside of Toronto. I uh, was you know, new to sales at First National, got on a plane to go to Regina for the Saskatchewan Real Estate Forum. And you know, kinda, I kind of fly out there and I get my hotel and I look up the address for the, the event the night before the actual conference. And I get over there and turn around and then I realize, oh, I don't know a single person in this room. And, uh, you know, it's a little awkward at first putting yourself out there. And anyway, by the end of the night, you've met a bunch of people and it's, it's all worked out. But yeah, fast forward a couple of years of going to these events nonstop. And it feels like a, it feels like a homecoming every time because it's just all the faces, you know, and a lot of people, you only see those conferences. I thoroughly enjoyed them. And of course the, the big one is for me is the Toronto multi-day event at the end of the year. I think that's the big one for everybody. <laughs> Why? Well, yeah. Where well, you have to prep yourself a week before, right? Like you have to get, get lots of sleep the week before. So you're prepared for that, that, um, boondoggle. <laughs> and I get, you know, and I guess we gotta, we have to just thank George, you know, now in retrospect for giving you and I the opportunity to, we were traveling around doing those forums before our partnership with the real estate forums, but now you and I basically go to every single one or, you know, historically anyway, and, and post COVID we will again travel around the country, going every single one. And with the opportunity to interview some of the, the biggest minds or the best minds or the smartest minds in the, in the industry. That's thanks to George and his team to giving us that opportunity. And then, of course, to our listeners, you're welcome because you get the opportunity to hear us interview these incredible people where otherwise, you know, Adam and I would still be working out of the first national office begging and pleading for people to come on the podcast. So it's, it has unequivocally stepped up the quality of the, of the guests that we've had the opportunity to talk to. And so, you know, I, we have to obviously just thank George and his team for giving us that opportunity. Yeah, it's added on another layer of uh, interest for the real estate forums, there were already, you know, a lot of fun to go to, but now you layer on the fact that we're connecting with these speakers. It's, it's been a uh, you know, great experience and boy, do I hope we get back to it soon. Yeah. I cannot wait. I mean, and you, you and I, <laughs> I shouldn't say this, but I'll say it anyway. You know, you and I have young children and, and the opportunity to travel to these things at times, it's kind of nice to have a, a night away. Sorry to my wife if she's listening. <laughs> <laughs> a bed all to yourself that's uh, unbroken oh, sleep all night. Yeah, there's something to be said for that. I'm not going to yeah. lie. <laughs> as much as I love my family, don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's hope that if our family does listen to this podcast, they don't listen to the very end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't think my wife made it through 20 minutes, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, I, uh, yeah, I guess we're going to wrap up our thoughts on this one. And I hope yeah. to... You know, before, I, before I end up sleeping on the couch, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess our big takeaway is the uh, real estate forms of a super interesting story and uh, a big part in everybody's lives in real estate and hope to see you all, one of them very, very soon. Yeah. And that's, uh, before we wrap, that's a good point. We're going to be back hopefully soon and um, don't ever hesitate to come up and say hello when you see us uh, sitting there uh, recording at the forums. Thank you for listening to the CRE podcast. The information from this broadcast is not to be relied upon as financial investing, professional accounting, or legal advice. First National Financial LP holds Financial Services Commission of Ontario License Number 10514 and 11252.